This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now, it's Thursday, lunchtime, and as we speak... The British House of Commons is in uproar. There has been a terrible row, and the future of the Speaker of the House of Commons, Lindsay Hoyle, is in the balance. He has been regarded as a good Speaker. His predecessor, John Burkow, was a Remainer and got done in the Brexit massacre, and he was a controversial figure anyway. This present Speaker, Lindsay Hoyle, has been regarded as a good speaker, but all that changed last night in remarkable scenes. And we're joined now from London uh, by Chris Jones, former chief economist of the Bank of Ireland, and now a very respected commentator and indeed podcaster himself to explain to us what's going on in London and the significance of it. Chris, thank you very much for joining us. Israel and Palestine, Hamas, they are the issue. And yesterday, was a bad day for Lindsay Hoyle. He has had 57 votes of no confidence laid against his name. And as this day progresses, he may lose his position. What's happened? Well, I don't want to go into the arcane procedures of the British Parliament, but unfortunately, um, I'm going to have to do a bit of it, and I'll try to keep keep it as simple as I can. Yeah, well, yeah, the SNP, uh, small parties some have a day sometimes when they can set the agenda, correct? Yeah, and one of the wrinkles, and there are many of those in all of this, is that the original rules, which really for this particular set of circumstances only go back as far as 1979, they're called standing orders. Yes. They were designed for essentially a two-party House of Commons. Nobody really thought about the fact that there would be large uh, third or fourth parties, and so the rules don't suit the current system, which is a general point that you could make about British parliamentary procedures and systems, because to the extent that they're written down, and mostly they're not, because of course Britain has an unwritten constitution, uh, we rely on the good chap theory of government, or the good chap practice of government. And it all falls apart when we start behaving like bad chaps, which is essentially what happened yesterday. And it looked and sounded and felt viscerally like a rerun of the Brexit days when we had absolute pandemonium, pandemonium, pantomime chaos in Parliament. A lot of which 
Yeah, a lot of which at the time was centered around the then speaker, as you say, John, John Burkow. And Lindsay Hoyle was elected to succeed John Burkow, partly on a promise that he made that he would never do anything like the, uh, the shenanigans that John Burkow got up to, which was in various quarters interpreted as running a coach and horses through the written and unwritten rules associated with how you're actually supposed to run parliament. Now, what happened was back in uh, November, uh, the first vote on Gaza was was uh, proposed by the SNP back, even back then. And there was a furore because Labour under Keir Starmer was forced to vote against it. He didn't like the wording of this particular amendment. Now, there is a conceit here. And one conceit is that this is all about Gaza. And of course, yes, it is. But it's not all about the Middle East. It's all about political opportunism, uh, dirty tree, dirty tricks and dirty deeds being done in the House of Parliament. Because the SNP, not unlike the Conservatives, are trying to uh, get one over Keir Starmer because they're really worried about what's going to happen in the next yes. general election to SNP seats in Scotland. And Labour. it's vital to the Labour Party, isn't it, Chris, that they pick up those seats in Scotland where the SNP are a dead duck uh, really, at the moment. Yeah, they, it, it is on the current opinion polls suggested that Labour are going to pick up a lot of SNP seats. So the SNP are fighting these rearguard actions to try and embarrass Labour. And they're using these Gaza amendments, these Gaza debates, to try and uh, re- severely embarrass Gisson because it, because he had to fire people from his shadow cabinet the last time this happened, because they rebelled against his whipping, as it's called, arcanely in the, in the UK. Uh, the, the, the whips are the people that organise House of Commons business and, and, and really make backbench MPs toe the line, toe the leader's line. And, that, and it's in the whips' offices that all of these dirty deeds are often done. So the SNP wanted a second bite of the cherry. They wanted a second go at embarrassing Keir Starmer. And right up until yesterday, all of us political anoraks were looking forward to another pantomime, not the one that we got, but we thought it was going to be a simple rerun of what happened a few months ago, in which a lot of Labour MPs would rebel against their leader, would vote for the Scottish SNP thing that they were bringing to the parliament yesterday. It has no effect on the government. It has no effect on anything. This is the second conceit. The idea that a uh, a motion approved or disapproved in the House of Commons in London has any effect on Middle Eastern affairs is, as I say, the, the second yes. conceit. Um, Britain is 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 not the, the you know notwithstanding its seat on the, the Security Council of the United Nations is is not the influencing power that it once was. So anyway, this Gaza thing was di- designed. Yes, it had good intentions because they wanted to call for a ceasefire. We know an immediate that. ceasefire, an immediate ceasefire, and all Keir Starmer wanted to do was introduce his own motion, which was to say, let's have a ceasefire, but let's also have the release of hostages and work towards a two-state solution. Several thoughtful commentators, and indeed ex-politicians, have said today the difference between Labour's motion and the SNP motion uh, was was very marginal indeed. It was was sophistry in a way, Um, and they all seem to want the same thing with slightly different wording. And as a spoiler, 
the Tories also introduced their own motion and asked the Speaker to consider it, which is unusual given that the, the day under these arcane procedures had been given over to the SNP. So the unusual thing was the day that it was supposed to be the SNPs, Labour and Conservatives tried to spoil it. And the the thing that nobody expected was that Lindsay Hoyle, A, allowed both the Conservatives and Labour to introduce their motions on the SNP's day, and he allowed the Labour motion to be heard first. Yes. Which, in the weird way these things work, meant that the other two weren't going to be heard effectively. And we'll never know, actually, what would have happened, because then what actually occurred on the floor of the House of Commons is that the government walked out. Yes. Um, which is almost <laughs> unprecedented to see the, the, the leader of the House of Commons, Penny Morden, announced that they were effectively going on a, on, on a short uh, hour-long strike was, was, was quite remarkable, if not unprecedented. And she was accusing the Speaker in doing what you described, calling the Labour motion first, of undermining the confidence of the House in him. Yeah, that's that's one way of interpreting it. Um, another way is to listen to what Lindsay Hoyle's explanation subsequently was, was that he was trying to achieve two things. One, to give voice to everybody in the House of Commons on a very, very controversial and important topic. He felt that, he said, that it was important that all voices were heard, which sounds eminently reasonable. And he also introduced the idea that uh, it was done in part, at least, for uh, MPs' security. Because what we know is that after that, that Labour were forced to vote against it the last time around in the autumn, um, people are camping outside Labour MPs' homes. And they are receiving death threats, allegedly, over social media. So Lindsay Hoyle was hinting that he was trying to give or to create a way for Labour to vote for a, a, a ceasefire amendment or motion um, and therefore reduce the risk of them being subsequently attacked in some shape or form, yes. either physically or on social media. Um, that's horrifying that he would have to uh, even think like this. It's horrifying that it's taking place. Um, responding in this way is probably not the way to deal with these threats. You'd have thought it was a matter for law and order, but um, you know that that clearly is a, a different matter. So he had two two stated reasons why he did what he did, why he did a John Burkow, if you like, that he did drive a coach and horses through established parliamentary procedure. And as another wrinkle to this, his own clerk, which is who is the expert, the full time civil servant in the House of Commons, published a letter or an email put it in the public domain, stating that he was effectively driving a coach and horses through established procedure. So you, you have to listen to what uh, the Speaker is saying, Lindsay Hoyle is saying, about why he did what he did. It sounds very plausible to me because every sense that we have of this man is that he is a decent fellow, not prone to skullduggery. He is acutely aware of the promise that he made not to do things like this. So I think there are a large number of MPs, obviously not the 57 who have tabled this no-confidence motion in him, uh, that a large number of MPs actually do have confidence in him. There's a difference between him and Burkow in that yes. Burkow had lots of enemies. This man does not. And I think people were genuinely surprised by what he did yesterday. Yes, there's a couple of things that should be said about Lindsay Hoyle. He's a former Labour MP, and it should also be said that there is a deep split in the Labour Party between Keir Starmer, the leader who is desperate to escape 
the shadow left by Jeremy Corbyn and the sense that the Labour Party was anti-Semitic and had people in it. And Corbyn's Labour Party certainly was and did have people in it who were later expelled. But the SNP, had they got to introduce their motion, and it was their day to go first, had a motion which asked for um, an immediate ceasefire, and that motion would have split the Labour Party badly. Yes, that's that's absolutely right. And embarrassed Starmer and hurt them in terms of the coming election. And would have prompted more resignations and or sackings from the shadow cabinet, yes. is what we think, just as it did last autumn. Now, the real skullduggery that's been hinted at, talked about, uh, various journalists have said that they have been told by somebody who saw somebody say this, and so it's all a bit second and third hand. It's all allegation. But the allegation is that Keir Starmer or somebody close to Keir Starmer nobbled the speaker, yes. nobbled Lindsay Hoyle. And the specific allegation is that he was told that if he didn't do something like this, that A, his position after the next general election, he would not get reappointed. And like John Burker, he would not get the traditional seat in the House of Lords. So that amounts to blackmail. I yes. think it's probably not too strong a description of that. There's no evidence for that other than all of these third-hand uh, accounts of this happening, but that allegation is out there. And it was noted while this was breaking live on Channel 4 and on Sky last night that when this vote had taken place as he was leaving the chamber, Sir Keir Starmer, the Labour Party leader, mouthed the words, thank you. <laughs> yes, to, and, to and it's Lindsay also Oil, which does sort of lend a little bit of credence to the idea that you expressed this idea that uh, it was, in fact, Starmer and one of his allies who went to the Speaker of the House and said, if you don't do this, i.e. let us go first and avoid the embarrassment of an SNP motion, you're toast after we get into office next year. So one way or another, this was British parliamentary democracy not at its best. It was, in fact, at its worst. And this is one of the problems that we have in, in, in the UK, is that when, when things go wrong with our unwritten constitution and our very arcane procedures and processes, it's, it's, it's brutal. And any, any outsider from outside Britain looking at this, let alone inside, would have thrown up their hands, hands in horror. You talked about Keir Starmer there saying, mouthing, thank you, we think. The other observation I would make is that as the chamber was being emptied when it was all dying down and it was clear what had happened and what was not going to happen. The only people smiling were the Labour whips. Yes. Now, whether, whether, they, whether they had achieved what they intended to by design or whether it was just a happy series of coincidence and happy accidents, I guess we'll never know. But the outcome as we speak, has been good for Keir Starmer in that he is not faced with the rebellion headlines that he was threatened with if this Scottish day had gone ahead. That's also true, actually, of Rishi Sunak, because his own motion was uh, not voted on, not least because, as I say, his government walked out of the House of Commons. <laughs> and as one Labour backbencher astutely pointed out, the last time she looked, the government had a majority. And the reason why Keir Starmer 
walked out was not because of disgust over all of the shenanigans, but because he suddenly realized that on his own motion, this is the third one we're talking about now, he would have been defeated. There would have been enough Tory backbenchers voting against that one. So that was all about a procedural trick as well. So it, it, it really was very shady, very underhand. And if you were, um, and I know we all are, deeply concerned about the situation in the Middle East, to the extent that this would have had any impact on the Middle East, to the extent that it was important for the Britain yes. to send a clear message where it stands on the Middle East, this was definitely not the way to do it. The problem it, it, that you saw yesterday is, is encapsulated in many ways with so many different things. I've mentioned the way in which it was reminiscent of the, the whole Brexit saga, in which, which yes. these sorts of days in Parliament were quite common. They happened repeatedly for all sorts of strange reasons. When you have a good chat theory of government, it falls down when a number of things happen. When, first of all, you don't have good chaps, when you actually have bad people in charge. And I think particularly during those days, without mentioning any names, but you can probably imagine who I'm thinking of, yes. we actually had bad people in charge. Yes. The good chap theory of government also requires you to have, I think, people not at the ideolog ideological end of the spectrum, be it of the far left or the far far right. And again, you can imagine who I'm thinking, thinking of yes. here. So don't have ideologues in a good chap theory or practice of government. And the third thing you always need for that system to work is people who know what they're doing, who know how to run things, who know how to be effective, who know how to get things done. And this is my criticism mostly of the current lot. Is I don't think Rishi Sunak is a bad man. I don't think he's particularly ideological, actually, although sometimes I have my doubts. But what he clearly is, he's just not very good at what he does. Yes. And, and, he's in, and he did inherit the mess left behind by Boris Johnson, and to a lesser extent, well, not to a lesser and Liz Truss, his two yeah. predecessors, were off the charts mad. So absolutely. So I, so Liz, Liz Truss is going around at the moment saying that her government was sabotaged by uh, civil servants promoting a trans agenda. Right. She's making speeches in the United States, paying paid a lot of money saying that she's just written a book, which is about to come out. In oh, which right. on the front cover it says that she's the prime minister of, was the prime minister of Great Britain. She's actually. Um, doing things to the union, I think, probably in inadvertently and again incompetently. But there's this point about badness, ideological and incompetent. When you have all three in one person, and again, I'm not going to yes. point fingers at any one particular individual, you've got a disaster, a structural disaster for the way the country is being run. You've only got, need one of those things to go wrong for it to be bad enough. And I do think that it, it, over the last few years, we have had individuals running the country that are all of those three things. And the current lot, uh, if you look at any given member of the cabinet, and indeed the backbenches at the moment, and indeed some members of the Labour Party, you've got elements of one or all of those three present there as well. So I think we we have these deep, deep problems revealed yesterday in in the arcane way, the foundations for, for the arcane way in which this country is run require certain things to be in place for it to work. And they're not in place, yes. so it's not working. Britain really isn't working at the moment. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Just to move on slightly, we don't want to sort of rerun or replay or second guess what's happening in Gaza at the moment. Uh, nevertheless, it's highly emotive. If it's damaged the United States, it's damaged Biden, it's caused Trump uh, to, you know, well, let's leave Trump out of it for a moment. But it's certainly a very emotive question. The United Nations now is losing all its moral authority because of this. The Secretary General has taken a line which is seen as anti Israel, but the Israel Hamas Palestine issue, Chris, does now seem to be very serious in terms of the stability of the Western world. Yeah, and th there are so many different strands to that. that since it started on October the 7th, we've been clearly very worried about Gaza itself and, and all of the humanitarian issues associated with n nearly 30,000 people dead according to, to the reports from, from the um, well, Hamas. Uh, it's medical the Hamas. Uh, just, we health, should, the health authority yes. who is who's run by Hamas are reporting. Yes, we should say, and I should certainly say on behalf of everyone working on this podcast, what happened on October the 7th was a war crime. It was an atrocity of the most disgusting kind, and it is that that was the uh, catalyst for what we have seen since. The problem is the degree to which Israel has responded and it's the response itself and the suffering that has caused. And also, of course, Netanyahu, who is a very discredited man and many believe he'd be finished the moment this conflict finishes or is in any way mediated. And he has a very right-wing neo-fascist element in his cabinet. So we're in deep waters here, aren't we? We are. And as we know, if we start expressing opinions about any of this, we're going to get ourselves from one side or another 
um, into a lot of yep. even deeper deeper water. So I think that I'm going to try and confine my my remarks to the facts as, yes. as we know them, and that's why we caveated the number of casualties. That it's that number is only from one. Hamas source, but we do know that many thousands of people have died. Yes, yeah, so the international aid agencies have confirmed one thing that is so many children and women have died or maimed or orphaned or whatever. It's another it's, fact. It's yeah, another, most, another, another fact is that we thought we were really worried once, particularly once Israel went into Gaza about escalation. And to an extent, it has happened. There are yep. rockets being fired across the Lebanese border, and there are still fears that that could erupt into an all-out war. There is what's going on in the Gulf um, of Aden, which is the Houthis uh, causing uh, world trade, the ships involved in world trade. 12% of world trade is now going round the long route rather than the, the shorter route, adding to costs. It's going to contribute to the inflation problem. This is something that, as an economist, I am acutely aware of. But the escalation, that regional conflagration fear that was expressed during October and November of last year hasn't happened yet. We, we I stress yet, but um, certainly I think if you described those casualty rates and the what has actually happened in Gaza since then, you would have said that Iran in particular would have got more involved than it has. And I think to a lot of military strategists, that has come as a somewhat, and I use the word advisedly, pleasant surprise that things haven't kicked off in a way that they thought they might. Saudi Arabia is still involved in negotiations, which is something, again, that people weren't expecting. And that um, Benny Gantz, for example, the Israeli uh, cabinet minister, said that negotiations, he only said it today, are still ongoing. So things have happened in ways that you, you didn't expect. One of the brutal, awful facts that uh, I have come across, I haven't seen this wide, uh, attract a, a great degree of what publicity, because it is so awful in a way, is that a lot of the world's military thinkers and strategists have beaten the path to the Israelis now, because urban warfare, I mean, if you think of everything that has happened in recent decades, you know, the yes. thing that the Americans did in Iraq and all the rest of it, is, is always bloody, and it often results in failure. Think about the, the Americans yes. in Afghanistan and, and yes. how they got out. Think of the Americans in Vietnam yes. and, and how, how that ended. The brutal truth is, with those ca awful, awful casualties that um, Israel is inflicting on Gaza, uh, the reason why some military types are beating a path to the Israelis' doors is that it is working. They are destroying Hamas. Yes. Um, at the price and the cost that it is coming at. And so this, this might be the first case of uh, urban warfare working to achieve its original objectives. It might also, um, in the longer view of history, create something even worse than Hamas, because that's the, yes. the, that's the, the, the long view of history. I'm sure you'd agree with that. That's why I said that it hasn't kicked off a wider conflagration yet. Yes. And, and this is the thing that every, everybody is watching. And it's, it's the involvement of both Iran and Russia in the region. The uh, Russian ambassador to Iraq met with an awful lot of Iraqi uh, defense and other officials over the last few days in preparation for what is generally expected once this has either ended, we you know, we all pray, or or at least die down. They expect the Americans to further pull out of the region. And what happened in Syria, which essentially Syria is now run by Russia and Iran, that Iraq is going to be next, that Russia and yes. 
uh, is is going to be essentially replacing the United States when when the United States does uh, pull out of Iran. It's it comes as a surprise to many people just how involved on the ground the U.S. still is across the region. Tens of thousands of their soldiers and support staff are still there, and um, it is generally thought that they're they're quite likely to pull out once this is all over. Okay, Chris, just a final question. Is there permanent damage or has it been averted to the prospect of replacing the Tory government in Britain uh, with a Labour-led, Keir Starmer-led regime? Yesterday felt like end of term for me at a, at a, 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 a riotous board, British boarding school with all of its awful aspects. Yeah. And it, it has a very end of, end of term feel, as I say. Uh, the, the one thing Keir Starmer is, um, trying to avoid is alienating the Muslim vote. Yes. Again, very Gaza connected. These things are all eventually end up there, don't they? Yes. And, um, it's quite clear there have been a couple of polls. It's hard to read a trend which says that the Muslim vote in the UK has been turned off to an extent labor. So he obviously is very keen to try and, uh, head that off. Um, I expect the polls to tighten between now and the next general election. Um, anything could happen, but I, at the moment, I would say not. One of the things that I think is important to stress, looping all the way back to where we started this discussion, it is possible that as a result of the ongoing Ferrari, you rightly say that we're, we're speaking at a time when this has not concluded in any definitive way, either for Speaker Hoyle or indeed for the Scottish day. It is possible and it's unlikely at the moment, but it remains possible that one solution, given how much the, the, the SNP are kicking off about this, is that they are given another day. And so that this all comes back again. And it is possible that Keir Starmer gets finally does actually get embarrassed in the way that he's he feared. That is one possible outcome. OK, well, we're very grateful to you, Chris, for joining us today and telling us exactly what is happening in the House of Commons and in London. We're very grateful to Chris always, of course, and to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.